And we do continue this morning. Oh, before I get started, uh, now is the time for the yeah two to five year olds to head out with Carol if they're going to go uh, with for children's church. Uh, good opportunity there, and uh, also just want to encourage you if the clipboards have gotten stuck, keep those uh, working their way through so everybody gets a chance to to sign those. All right, continuing John chapter 14, we, we kind of uh, dipped into chapter 14 last week a little bit. Uh, I want to kind of cover what we covered in, in chapter 14 again briefly this morning. But remember, um, as you see, the, the chapter starts off, do not let your hearts be troubled. You have to stop and say, well, why, why were their hearts troubled? And the Bible Knowledge Commentary kind of puts a, a condensed version of reasons that I, I found out very helpful. Why did the disciples need comfort? Well, the disciples were completely bewildered and discouraged at this point. Jesus had said he was going away. Um, and the references in, in the Bible Knowledge Commentary, five different references where Jesus said he was going away. And would die. We just saw that in chapter 12, in verses 32 and 33. Uh, he'd also told them that one of the 12 was a traitor. I mean, stop and consider these are men who have been living with Jesus, traveling with Jesus, ministering with Jesus for three years, and he says, One of you is a traitor, is going to betray the one we've all been following and we've left everything for. He's also told them that Peter, who really functioned as the leader, was going to disown him three times before morning broke. And that Satan was at work against all of them. John doesn't talk about this, but Luke 22 does. talks about how Satan wants to sift Peter like wheat. And that all the disciples, according to Matthew 26, 31, all the disciples would fall away in this time. The cumulative weight of these revelations must have been heavy upon them. No wonder Jesus said, do not be troubled. So follow along with me, if you will, now in your Bibles. I'm going to read through verses 1 through 11 of John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me 
has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. And so as, as the disciples, having been shaken, troubled within their, their souls uh, because of these, these things that they've been told, Jesus, who is, of course is going through so much more, right? Jesus is getting ready to give his life on the cross for these men and all of humanity. Jesus is going to not just be killed in a torturous death, but Jesus is going to bear that eternal death penalty for the sins of humanity while he is on the cross. And yet he stops, he takes time and knows that this is critical for them to get through that time watching all that he will go through, but also preparing them because they will be the ones then to take the truth of his death, burial, and resurrection to the world so that people can believe in him and receive eternal life. And so Jesus stops and says, don't let your heart be troubled. And literally it's stop letting your heart go on being troubled. In other words, they, their hearts are already troubled. It's, it's an ongoing thing now. It didn't just happen for a moment and then, oh no, we're okay. But in essence, he says, stop that state of being that you're in. And this is really the first command he gives in, in this first section. In light of how they're absorbing the things that he's told them. If they think about it, they'll remember that he had told them in advance these things that were going to happen and, and hope and then, then be encouraged, right? Because he said, I'll tell you these things in advance. That way you will know that I am He. In other words, literally, I am. I am God. And so first a command. Stop. Stop letting your heart be troubled. You have, first of all, in the Father. Believe in God, what you need to not be troubled. And it's literally, be believing in God. Keep on believing in God. It wasn't that he thought they didn't believe in God. But there's that sense in which we have to consciously choose to believe God moment by moment of each day, right? It's got to be an ongoing believing. It has to be an ongoing pattern of thought. And when Jesus was troubled earlier, which is interesting, he, he talks about that Jesus was troubled in a couple of places before this. We're told that he, what did he do? Did he stay troubled? No, he went to the Father. He spoke to the Father. And the Father then, in chapter 12, spoke back to him, right? Because Jesus brings it back around. He says, Father, glorify yourself in this moment that I'm troubled and in what I'm about to do. And remember, the Father says, Barty, glorify it, my name, and I will continue to glorify it. And Jesus urges his disciples here to, to have that same kind of a trusting relationship and approach the Father when they're troubled. Keep your faith in him directed in that way. Don't let it be set aside. Keep on believing in God. But then he adds on, keep on also believing in me. 
Since Jesus is one with the Father, they can and should believe just as fully in Jesus as they do in the Father. He is trustworthy, and he can handle everything that he's coming that is coming. Everything he's told them about, they can believe that Jesus has it taken care of. Even though it may be very difficult, they can trust him. He's let them know in advance what's going to happen, and he will take care of it. As they were told in, in John 10, Jesus is the good shepherd, right? What's a shepherd like for his sheep? Well, he knows where he's taking his sheep, right? He knows where the good pasture is. He knows where they can be taken care of best. He can, he's got his, his rod and his staff, which the rod, short version, it's like a weapon. It's, like, it's also a tool for caring for those sheep. Staff for directing, for communicating, for showing his presence to them. They can trust him. They can be believing in him and keep on walking where they're going because that is what he is like. He is, as Psalm 23 says, he is the Lord, Yahweh, right? But then he goes on. He says, yes, I'm going, to, I'm going to be going away, but there's purpose in the going. It says, in my Father's house, verse 2, are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In other words, there's purpose. He's not just going away to go away. He's not going away because he has no choice, but there's a plan. And he's using the marriage illustration from the, the customs of the day, where the groom would say to his bride, We've entered into a covenant here. We're bound together now, even though we aren't living, going to live together yet. We aren't going to consummate the marriage yet. But we have entered into a covenant a relationship here where I'm going to back to my father's house. I'm going to build on a section of the father's house, and I'm going to prepare it, and I'm going to get it ready. And when the father says it's all ready, he's going to send me back to come get you I will come, I will take you, and you won't know when, so be prepared, be prepared, and I will take you back to my father's house, and then there we will live together for the rest of our lives. Jesus takes that word picture for his disciples and said, I know you're concerned that I'm going to be gone, but I will prepare a place, and I will come back. And my father's house, by the way, has many dwelling places. So it's not just a few of you. I've got bigger plans. I have room for many, many in the father's house. So keep that in mind. But he says, I will come again. Jesus is faithful and do what he promises in, prepar in, in preparation for those who believe in him. I'm going to go. I will prepare the place, but I will come back. You can count on it. It's hard in the waiting sometimes, isn't it? Are you really coming, Jesus? You've been waiting a long time. Are you really coming? But he is faithful. And at exactly the right time, when the Father says his work is finished, he will return to take his bride, that is the church, all those who have believed in him, to the prepared place. And she will leave the home she has known for so long and go to live with her husband. That's us, right? We are the bride. We've known only this home, this earth, this, this place. 
but he is going to take us to his home. Right? So Jesus is assuring his disciples that this is what he will do. We call that event the rapture. And it's distinct from the second coming, by the way, because when Jesus comes in the rapture, it's to get us, right? And to take us to be in his Father's house. Second coming, Jesus is coming with us to bring judgment and to rule and to reign. Okay? Two distinct events. But he's, he's assuring them that that is going to happen and he will come and he will get us. And the, what's the main point of it? Where I am, there you may be also. That's the main point of it all. Jesus has a long-term plan, and at the heart of it is the reality of being together with those who believe in him. The place he prepares, by the way, notice it's not described, is it? We don't know what it looks like from this passage. And though from other places in the Bible, we get an idea that it's pretty impressive. You know, we've heard about the streets of gold, right? Uh, we've heard about a few of the things, but Jesus doesn't even mention what it looks like here. All the description that we get of, of heaven, other places, all the ideas we get, you know, that's just secondary. That's just heaping on extra blessing. The point of being in the, that place in the Father's house is being with Jesus. I don't think we're going to walk in to heaven and say, oh man, look at the streets. No, we're going to say, where's Jesus? Where is Jesus so we can be with him? Let's just go wherever he's at. And in the meantime, well, what then? What do we do in the meantime? Well, what does the bride do? Well, in the case of, of, of customs in Israel, the bride would be at home, getting prepared, making sure she knew how to do all of the things that needed to be done to be, a, be the wife that she ought to be, taking care of all the things that she's, or normal things that she's called to do in her current home, right? What are we supposed to do in our current home? Well, we're supposed to be serving our Lord, right? We're supposed to be getting ready for that time. We're supposed to be bigger and better in a sense, right? Who's not in the church that needs to have believed in Jesus and be brought together? with him, can go and be in the house with us. There's many dwelling places, he said, right? So Jesus gives them that assurance. He says, here, here's the plan. I've laid it out for you. And then in verse 4, he kind of throws the, the, the conversation in another direction. Or maybe you could say he draws out what the disciples are thinking in, on the inside. He says, and you know the way where I am going. He wants to make sure they get what they need to get about this. Because if you remember, Peter got upset when Jesus said he was going to go away. What's going on here? In all of their hearts, it's that way. And Thomas now speaks up in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? The misunderstandings are coming out now, right? This question five, we, we don't know. 
You said you're going somewhere. Well, I don't, we don't get it. Now, John chapter 7, verse 33, uh, we have one example of where they heard that Jesus said he was going. It says, therefore, Jesus said, for a little while longer I am with you, then I go to him who sent me. And if you look around at the context there, who is he talking to? Well, he's talking to the Pharisees, the chief priests, the officers who came to see him, seize him, I mean. And he told them, he said, you will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. So, th so they're like, they had heard, right? And we have from other places, like the beginning of chapter 13, John tells us that Jesus, knowing that it was his time to go back to the Father. You know, what we have in the Gospels, I believe, is a representation of what they heard. It doesn't give us every word that Jesus said to them. I think they'd heard Jesus had say, said, We're going, I'm going back to my Father. But you know what? I think they probably didn't want to hear that. You ever like that? You hear something you didn't really want to hear, so you just kind of let it go. Yeah, well, I'm just, I'll just pretend I didn't hear that. Or, oh, let's not dig into that. I'm not sure I'd want to know the answer if I asked about it. Well, here Thomas is, is pressed by Jesus' statement to say, we don't know where you're going, Jesus. How can we know the way or the road, literally? Which sets up Jesus for what they really need to hear. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And this is the sixth of his great I am statements are uh, found in the Gospel of John. And he claims the covenant name, I am, of the Creator, Almighty Creator God, and then declares what he is like. So in this case, Jesus says, I am. Claims Yahweh for himself. And then he tells us these three things that he says he is, which in a sense are one thing that contribute to the, to the main point. But it's only because of the union that Jesus has just pictured for them in the Lord's table that they can really know the way, the truth, and the life. So it's very really appropriate that this morning we share together in that, that covenant meal to be reminded that we are one with the one in whom we've put our trust, right? And so if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, well, how, how do I connect with that? Well, it's because of that relationship that Jesus and I tied together, hooked together in such a way that if he is the way, oh, then I can know the way. By the way, Thomas literally said, we can't know the way. We don't know where you're going, so we can't know the way. We don't have the power or the ability. And so Jesus, having just said, I'm one with you, said, what I am is available to you. I am the way, which again, as I said, was, is just the regular word for road. And the context tells us that it has to do with, well, where's the road to the Father? How do, how do we get back to the Father? Sin has separated us from Him. And it's kind of like if we said, well, I'm on my way back to you. Or I'm, the road, I'm on the road back to you. doesn't necessarily mean a literal trip, right? You're not necessarily going to get in the car but there is a relationship that's being repaired and restored. 
Jesus is saying, I'm the path back to a relationship with your Creator, your covenant God. By getting close to me, by being united with me, you will become close with the Father. The new covenant brings them close, and now they can pursue that closeness. They can move toward Him because of that relationship they have with Jesus. Jesus says, by the way, He's not... It's not just that he knows the way, but he says, I am the way. And then he says, I am the truth. Not just that he knows the truth. And John has already told us in chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus is full of grace and truth. But in a sense, Jesus takes it a little further here and he says, not only do I know the truth, but I am the truth. So to be right with the Father, you have to know what, it is, what is true. In fact, it's interesting that it was, what is it that separated mankind from, from God in the first place? It was a lie, right? It was deception. Satan came and tempted Eve, told her lies that she believed, which pulled her and Adam away from God when they chose to eat of the fruit. And ever since then, humanity has been headed down the road of sin, and we've been avoiding and we've been twisting the truth ever sense. So how can we have a relationship with the God who made us? Well, only if we can know the truth. And Jesus says, I am in myself, in my character, true. And the truth comes out of who I am and what I am like. So the only way we can get back to the relationship we once had with our Creator is to have the truth that is Him, that is His. It's interesting, this word truth. People use it like they can come up with truth on their own. They, if they just think about it hard, oh, I know what's true. Do you now? How, how do you know what's true? Oh, well, I just know. Oh, some, in a way, it's kind of a claim to be God, isn't it? Well, if I know within me, then it must be. Well, Jesus says, no. If you want to know what's true, you, you have to know me. You have to be united with me. And people think, oh, well, that's your truth, and I have my truth. Again, how can that be? Are you God? Jesus is saying that truth is based on the character of God himself. That's why lying is wrong, is because God is truth. To, to lie is to deny his character, to do, do, do what is separate, separate from what he is like. To be unfaithful is to be unlike God because God is faithful. That is his character. That is what he is like. That's why faithfulness is truth. So if you want to know truth, you have to know Jesus. And then he said, I am the life. I don't just give life, but he says, I am the life. Interesting, if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God made man, look at how he did it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. God didn't just say, be alive. 
but he in fact does it in such a way that we understand he is taking the life that is his and putting it into man when he created him. He shares the life that is his with the man. And so if we want life, we have to be with the life giver, right? So that he can share his life with us. And when man sinned, he died just like God told him he would. By the way, when he said, if you eat from the tree, you will surely die, the great rendering of that would be, dying you will die. Because Adam and Eve didn't just keel over physically right then, did they? But they did exactly what he literally said. Dying, they began dying at that moment. Spiritually, they were cut off from God, the relationship with God that they had before. But also their bodies then began to die. And then eventually they did die. The only solution to death is to have life itself. The life we need is only found in God and Jesus. That's why he's saying, really here, I am life itself. That is, I am God, because he is the only one who originates life. So I am the life giver. Come to me. Well, verses 7 through 11, we're going to look at really quickly here. But Jesus needs them to understand that knowing him is knowing the Father because they are one. And so in verse, verse 7, he says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you believe that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. And so Jesus here in verse 7 he kind of sets things up a little bit. First, he uses a word that means to know that has to do with to know experientially. Or he's saying, Thomas, we've spent so much time together. We've lived together. You've watched me not only teach, but you've watched me live what I teach. He says, if you had really known me like you should have in that process, then you would know the Father you would perceive who the Father is from our experiential relationship. But they'd missed a key truth, right? They'd really missed the fact that Jesus is God. As we've gone through this so far into, into John, he keeps emphasizing it again and again, right? He gives us these I am statements. He, he shows us things that he does that only God can do. If they had come to know him, they would perceive what the Father is like. And Jesus indicates that they don't know now who the Father is. There's something changing on this night as they are going to go through watching him be crucified and die and be buried and raised again. There's going to be an experiential now understanding of the Father through their relationship with Jesus. In other words, everything is changing for you, Jesus said. 
from this evening on, their view of Jesus will change and ours can too as we get to know him through the scripture, believing it and then incorporating that truth into our lives. Philip doesn't get it. Well, just show us the Father. That, that's enough for us, Jesus. And the word for show literally means, well, just give us a display. Show us. Moses asked God to show himself to him, and, 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 and God did that, kind of covered him right with his hands so he couldn't, wouldn't be, see his face and, and die. Just give us a show of the Father. Just display him for us, and that, that'll be good. We'll be all set then. We can just follow you, and everything's great. In verses 9 through 11, Jesus again clarifies that that's not what they need. He said, you've already had that opportunity in verse 9. He says, have I been so long with you, Philip, that you haven't come to know me? The character of God is shown through Jesus in all of his interactions with them. He's proven himself to be fully God by the way he has done that. They've seen just what God would say in all those situations, what he would do in those circumstances over three years. They should have said in their hearts, oh, this is what God is like. Jesus also spoke God's words. Um, I've got a couple different references. Let's just look at John 7, 16. On multiple times, Jesus basically said, if I said it, it came from the Father, not just from me. John 7, 16, Jesus answered them and said, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. He says, do you trust God, the Father? Well, then you can trust my words, because every word I say comes from him. I don't do this on my own. He is my source. And by the way, if... If Jesus, God the Son, was so reliant on the Father to choose his words, how much more should we be reliant on God to guide our words? Now, Jesus' words were perfect. We won't get there. But we can sure have a lot better words if we're in constant communion with him, saying, Lord, help me know what to say in this situation. Help me know how to speak your, your truth. I'm weak, but you can speak strongly through me. And so he says, through my words, you ought to know. You ought to know what the Father is like. Because I've been speaking his words all along, and we are one. He's in me. I'm in him. There's no separating us. But then finally, his works as well, he says, are the Father's. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Jesus really had, it gives, them, gives them the same challenge. It's, it's maybe a little humbling when they looked back at it. Because in, in John 10, verses 37 and 38, Jesus basically gave this same exact challenge to the religious leaders that were against him. Where there he said to them, If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. You see, he doesn't mind if we believe based on the miracles, the signs, but he wants us to go beyond that. Remember, John ends his book, as we've stated many times, saying many other 
miracles. There are many other signs Jesus did in, in the presence of his disciples. But these are written, why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that you may have life in his name. And so Jesus says, you've seen the Father's works. They're the things I've been doing. Yes, the miracles, but also just the character that I've, I've given in my life. So people say they want to know God. If that's true of you and you mean it, then you should be all about knowing Jesus completely. Knowing Jesus more and more. Are your pursuits wrapped up in knowing him? What's your goal for the things you do in your work, in your play, in your conversations, in whatever part of your life? Does it, does it have knowing Jesus ultimately as the goal? Do your conversations keep coming back around to Jesus? Is it just hard to not talk about Jesus when you're having conversations with people? It should be more and more that way, right, if you really want to know God. Because you find out about God by pursuing the relationship with Jesus that becomes yours when you believe in him. Do you long to be with him? Even as the disciples were starting to, right? They were, they were, they were troubled because they thought they weren't going to be able to be with Jesus. If we want to know God, we'll want to be with Jesus. Jesus actually didn't, didn't uh, get after his disciples for wanting to be with him. He, he told them but that, that really he had something even more than they were wanting in being with him. And are you eager to be in the place that he's prepared for you? I, I find it easier these days because I'm not so much at home in my old home here. But if we want to know God, aren't we, shouldn't we be looking forward to the place where he's prepared, where we're going to be a whole lot longer than we're here? Shouldn't that be our focus, even though the stuff here is often a mess, often hard, and troublesome. Why do we hang on to it so hard? Yeah, we want to keep on going through it for the sake of our Savior. But our eyes should be, yeah, but that's where we're going. That's where we're going to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to share your, your word and thoughts that, that I believe have come out of that word as a result, but I know even in myself, I, I'm so far short of these things I've just challenged on, and so I pray that you would help me to be more focused on knowing Jesus, and for each one who's here today, Lord, that that would become a more and more consuming passion, is to simply know Jesus wherever you have each person, that they would then be able to know you. And there is true joy and life is in knowing you. So we look ahead and we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. But in the meantime, Father, please give us the strength and the wisdom to live right where we are for your glory. We pray in the name of your dear son, Jesus. Amen.